what struck me particularly as you talked about the the cyanide cases was your passage in the book bring them all uh the the asap book uh that our, our our very own don stater was very involved in and you know you talked a lot about the the need for more awareness more preparation regarding uh, biological chemical weapons uh, and uh, and how we are in many ways unprepared for that type of a um, it's not a pandemic per se but uh, in this in this day and age I think we we talk a lot about preparation uh, and things we prepare for well and things that we maybe didn't prepare for as well could you touch on that as because I, I when you said all hands on deck and and you're trying to you know protect yourselves from off gassing and you're you're taking on potentially a large volume of patients a lot of that reminded me of your discussion of biological weapons and you know could you talk about what a disaster like that would look like and and how we can prepare ourselves as a community for that yeah so um, that's actually a super important point and very timely um, with what we're going what's going on today um, we um, so so in speaking of biological weapons, you know, the, the, there's always this, um, you know, it's, it's, it's when, when things are not happening, um, meaning that, you know, there's no um, biological threat happening, popping up in the world. I feel like we do get complacent, you know, um, thinking, no, this is not going to happen. Uh, but, you know, around the world, things like VX gas, and sarin gas, every once in a while, these exposures happen. And, you know, those are really difficult to treat. And if you could imagine like um, going to, you know, being here in Denver, uh, going to Mile High Stadium, if there's a sporting event, you know, there's 50, 60, 70,000 people, you know, potentially um, in, that, in that stadium or downtown Denver, if someone wanted to release some gas like that, um, you know, you could kill, a, you know, a large, large number of people. And, you know, um, I'm just not sure that we're ready, that if it happened right, you know, 10 minutes from now, what the process is to make sure that we, you know, everybody is safe and where we move people and how do we mobilize resources like the antidotes that we would need. You know, there's a particular antidote for, you know, gases like sarin and VX. Um, you know, where, where are these stores located? Who's going to bring them to the site? You know, like how do we keep track of the patients in the area? You know, we've got people that are disaster planners, luckily, and they've got uh, they've got a lot of skill and and a lot of experience doing this. But in the case of like a, a biological weapon like that, um, you know, the coordination between you know my group and you know our disaster planners and you know our state and local governments and all that, you know, I'm not sure that we're really prepared for to coordinate efficiently on the scale that we would need to if we got a, an attack like. So, you know, I think that this, this current, you know, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19 situation should really be a wake-up call for not just the pandemic, but like you mentioned, like a biological um, uh, an attack. If that happened, um, that would be, I mean, a, a terrible, and, and I'm not for sure that we're ready to, to, to attack that. So one of my, one of my, one of my um, goals is to, um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that I, you know, my poison center has a fairly big reach, and um, I sit between uh, three very large um, academic institutions with um, resources and some disaster preparedness. And so one of the things I would like to do when we kind of bring our attention back from COVID and get through this pandemic um, is to um, start to really plan for disaster preparedness on the level of scale that we need to for a biological attack um, and get our hospitals ready um, and my poison center ready, state, local governments ready, um, and all that so that uh, we can meet that challenge when it happens. 
That's right. I think I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I think if there is a time in which the public and elected officials and others are going to have the momentum and the insight into preparing for this, it's 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 now. Or I mean, in, in the short future, wherein we feel like uh, we have a better handle on COVID, but there's still an appetite for preparation, uh, as you know, and as you've seen over the course of your career, the, you know, the oscillations of preparation, right? I mean, there was, there's always a brief surge when, when Ebola becomes a threat, and then there's a brief surge, you know, with things like SARS and MERS and, and every once in a while with, if, with, if there's an environmental exposure, there are these kind of ample, you know, waves of preparation and then, uh, falling off and then preparate, you know, it's, it's Newton's third law of everything, uh, you know, going to disorder from order. Right. Uh, but I think in this unique, uh, pandemic, I think capitalizing on that is one of our best bets, you know, whether it's, uh, creating better, uh, infectious disease, pandemic response mechanisms and, and apparatuses, or, or whether it's uh, chemical warfare, uh, biological warfare, uh, you know, I think this is the time to try and really beef up those, that, that infrastructure, right? Because um, uh, I can't imagine a time in which the public is, has, has a, a bigger appetite for feeling more prepared for disasters like that. I totally, yep, you're 100% right. Um, couldn't agree with you more. Uh, this is the time to, to do it and put processes in place that stay in place and that are, you know, maintained and updated and iterated to make sure that we're ready. Because it's going to happen at some point. You know, it's, it will happen. Uh, who knows when, can't, can't see it in the future. But we're, I mean, I, I don't see a time when, you know, I don't see how it would be possible that something like that would not happen. That's right. That's right. Has COVID changed your job or your practice in any ways, either expected or unexpected, whether it's having to talk to people about hydroxychloroquine, which, you know, six months ago was a drug that, I mean, unless you're unless uh, maybe Chris, you frequently deal with malarial patients. It's not a huge portion of my patient population, but uh, I mean, whether it's uh, hydroxychloroquine or the new drugs or uh, other ingestions has, has, has COVID changed your practice in ways that you you would have predicted or, or not predicted? Yeah, so it's interesting. I just um, talked to someone about this recently. So, uh, you know, with I'm with you. My the number of malarial patients I've I've seen, you know, um, in the, like coming and presenting to the emergency department has not been uh, very numerous. Uh, not not numerous. Um, so, what for poison center wise though? Um, I think two major things have happened. Or actually, let me say three major things of three points about for uh, effect of COVID. One, um, it's interesting. If you look epidemiologically at uh, like big kind of crises and disasters like Hurricane Katrina, and if you look at this particular SARS epidemic, and if you look at the Great Recession that happened recently, if you look at these big events, call volume to our poison center increases. And we think that uh, part of the reason is that, you know, um, people in that those times are vulnerable. And so um, some of the you know, self-harm attempts um, from medications and things like that go up. Um, and so that's one thing is our volume has increased since this, this, this COVID crisis has occurred, which is pretty predictable, you know, um, because we've seen it before. Uh, the second thing, and talking about like chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, so, um, you know, some recommendations were made uh, previously about uh, potentially the benefit of, you know, either one of those anti-malarials, chloroquine or hydroxychloroquine to prevent or treat, uh, you know, COVID-19. And 
Um, so yeah, that we've seen an increase in the number of calls to our poison center about especially hydroxychloroquine. Um, and it's both questions as well as exposures that happened where there was an adverse effect. So we've had both of those, like questions about hydroxychloroquine, the drug, and then quest, you know, questions from providers calling us to say, hey, this person overdosed on hydroxychloroquine. Um, so both of those things have happened. In the case of chloroquine, um, you know, there was that sad case of the gentleman in Arizona who um, took some chloroquine phosphate from um, an aqu aquarium cleaner um, and tried to, 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 to prevent, treat himself or prevent himself from getting uh, COVID-19. He took that and ended up uh, dying from that. And we also have had a couple of cases here of chlor or chloroquine overdoses, and they are really difficult to treat. Um, overdoses of those anti-malarials. Those are some of the, the drugs that we, you know, we, we refer to as, you know, the, the keep you up at night drugs. Um, the, mm -hmm. the patient overdoses on that, that makes you worried because uh, they're tough to treat. So uh, we've had that. Um, that's the second piece is that both of those drugs have popped up. And then the third thing is, you know, the, 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 this is the Swiss cheese effect that number one, uh, kids are at home more now because schools have been out. Number two, you know, the recommendations are to clean all your surfaces. So sales of things from like Lysol cleaners from Lysol and Clorox are up. And so exposures to bleach and other cleaners are up 20 percent year or year on year. If you look to, to you know, February, March, April, um, year on year, they're up 20 percent. So we've been dealing with that very frequently. And I've put out a couple of press um, releases and uh, things out um, about not drinking bleach uh, because it can be very harmful and don't, you know, you should not do that. There's no evidence that <laughs> drinking bleach will help you with, uh, you know, treating COVID. So we've had to do that. So those three big things are, have changed our practice. So we, to the point, you know, we talk to our agents on phones. I've talked to my medical toxicology fellows, the learners, you know, um, we talked to them about it, that, that this is, they get this, we're getting calls about this. And so we're trying to educate the public about those, the, those things. Absolutely. That, thank you for that insight. I, I, um, many of the unintended consequences of quarantine, certainly. And, um, yes. uh, you know, your perspective on that is, is so helpful Do you, you just have a better sense of what the, the numbers look like. Like you said, you can compare it to year over year and, um, and it's something that, you know, as things slowly reopen, I think, uh, I'm hopeful to see a downtrending, but it's not going to be anytime soon. I mean, I think that's the, those, that risk and, uh, the, the risk of those exposures is going to continue to be, to be present in, in the, the, the community. Thank you for the work you've done to, to bring awareness to that and to, to promote that, you know, uh, on a, on a wider scale. We are on a quest to provide the world with free medical education. Please help us out by rating us on iTunes, following us on social media, and subscribing to our newsletter at emergencymedicalminute.com.